Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. I just got back from Delilah's with Ben Simmons, fam, and I gotta tell you, what a great crew at 12.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, oh no, wait, different sport. We're is talking that where Ben's hockey. hanging out? Because he's not practicing anymore. <laughs> the re- I don't- I'm so confused. <laughs> he's shooting shots, but not basketball. He is certainly shooting right, a shot. I don't know if it was true. I just saw something this afternoon that was like after he got kicked out of practice, he was at Delilah's. I was like, what is that crew? What goes on at a strip club at 1230 on a Tuesday afternoon? But it's a really good question. Nothing good. Regardless, regardless, we have hockey to talk about. The Philadelphia Flyers bounce back. From their uh, just disastrous second period in Game 1 with just the most fun game in a long time. A huge win beating the shit out of Dave Hackstall's team. It was awesome. That's all they are to me. They're the Seattle Hackstalls. They're nothing else. I wish failure upon them until he's no longer the coach, which will be like 12 months from now. But... Anyway, let's just get right into it. We have two games to talk about. We have two games to overreact to. So let's lead it off with the intros and start it off with Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. So, we've seen two games. (laughs) One game had bad Carter Hart, or Carter Fart, if you will. The other had good Carter Hart. That's all, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. Okay, coming in hot. Steph well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about we him more in the game. We in, are in the show. So Carter Fart and Carter Hart. It's fine. That's from the athletic the two doc- genders. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> <sighs> from the athletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Hey everybody. Um, so one thing that's cool this year, um, for me personally, uh, but hopefully it'll it'll result in um, in better coverage in, in some ways. Um, I'm getting to go on trips again, so that's Yay. cool. Um, because obviously last season, um, you know, with with the pandemic, with the restrictions, number one, I just wasn't going. You know, even even if I wanted to go, I wasn't going to be able to go because our company policy was essentially like unless there's you know some type of extremely pressing store you need to travel for probably safer just to stay home um but also you know even if you went you weren't getting much in the way of extra access and by much i mean nothing in the way of extra access well this year it's a little different and i'm getting to travel a little bit so not, won't be going to every single road game but um i will be going to the california trip in december so that'll be fun I'm gonna see seattle for the first time in my life i've actually never been um and then spend a few days in la um so i'm looking forward to it and hopefully it will um it will improve the coverage um that i can provide at the athletic.com um, when i covered the the um game the preseason game down in dc the final preseason game um it was nice because before the game we got a couple players and you know we were wearing masks but it was the first time you know we're really had like a one-on-one with a player you know in a you know around a game um since all this started so it's kind of cool you know slowly but surely hopefully uh you know be able to uh to do this job uh, which I love the way um, used to be able to do it. And obviously it's going to take time, might not be this season, but hopefully, you know, as the uh, the months pass, maybe the, uh, the COVID numbers will go down, hopefully more and more, and hopefully the access that we get in covering the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team will get better and better. 
How optimistic. You heard it here first, folks. Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic says COVID is over. <laughs> How optimistic are you that not just hockey, but like sports in general go back to the access that you had prior? Because, man, I'm not optimistic. So I, I think actually... some of it comes back. But I don't know. They they the, seem to like this. I get the sense that that the NHL and hockey is going to be pretty good with it. Um, I think we will get locker room access back, and I think part of the reason is that the NHL on some level realizes that they kind of need the publicity. Sure, um, yeah. Because they're not the biggest league in the world, particularly in the United States. Um, whereas I do wonder, you know, for sports like the NFL, uh, you know, you're kind of stuck. I mean, one thing I've been told is that the access that, for example, uh, European writers get for uh, you know for soccer in Europe, um, you know, it, you know the the Premier League, uh, the Spanish League, Italian League, like that's they don't get much. They get not nearly as much as uh, as American journalists get for the the Big Four got before the pandemic. And I would not be shocked if the NFL looks at it and is like, well, you know. You got to write about us because we're the biggest thing in town. So we don't have to give you this access back. I, I do think hockey, I believe hockey will give it most, give most of it back, if not all. Um, the, the thing is just when. And, yeah. you know, the question is, is, you know, how long is this, you know, really going to last? It might last a lot longer than we, uh, than we wanted to because, you know, people are still getting sick. People are still dying, unfortunately. And, you know, as long as uh, as long as that's at a relatively high number across the country, uh, presumably they're going to, you know, treat it as, uh, as carefully as possible. Last but certainly not least, the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I have some really big news, too. It's just about as big as hey, Charlie's uh. news. Um, I've started a Zach McEwen fan club. I'd like all of you to join. Oh my god. Is it this is the the second Kelly Hinkle fan club? Did I have a first one? Didn't you weren't didn't you have like a Facebook page? Oh, Dan Carcillo. For Dan yeah, Carcillo. Yeah. yeah. So this is like the sequel to Dan Carcillo. He has a mustache. mustache too, so I guess it works. <laughs> I'm I'm suing this guy for gimmick infringement personally. Was going to just mention that someone on Twitter pointed out that he has the exact same face as Bill Matz, and now I can't unsee we it. Have, we oh have the God. same haircut, which is none. <laughs> we have the same mustache. <laughs> I'm, Twinsies. I'm blown away by this guy. He's, so he it, bothers me. So here's here's the thing. Like, <laughs> my, my friend Will made this point today. Someone tweeted at him and was like, this guy looks like you. And Will's response was... I just have facial hair and black hair. Like, I don't look like him. It's just you're saying everyone with black hair and some type of facial hair looks the same. That's not really the case. Like, I don't think, Bill, I don't think you look like Zach McEwen. I really don't. <laughs> Will doesn't look like You just have dark like hair and a mustache. Bill I was at like a, him. I was at, I was at a wrestling show last Saturday. And sometimes out in public, I will be recognized uh, for for this show and for you know the post games and looking the way I do and people well, recognize up, my you voice. You get recognized too, I think. Yeah, you get. I to. don't. You absolutely do. But, yes, so, you do. I don't. So uh, <laughs> no, I don't. So anyway, I'm like I'm like fairly hard of hearing. Like if there's background noise, I'm kind of fucked in terms of hearing people. 
So this guy comes up to me with his phone out, and he's, like, trying to say something to me. And I think he wants to, like, take a picture or say something. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, man. Uh, and then, like, he starts recording this video, and he's saying that he's there with, um... God damn it. Who's the the guy, the, the weird-looking Mario porn star? God, it's... What? Ron Jeremy? Right, yeah, he's saying... I'm here with Ron Jeremy's cousin, and he's like looking at me, trying to get me to say something. I like I was real close to getting into a fist fight at a fake fight show. Like it was, yeah. What? (laughs) It was insane. But yes, anyone with long hair and a mustache looks the same. That's the point. I don't even know what to do with that story right now, Ron Jeremy. There's a lot to unpack, but. Let's leave it for another day. All right. So what I wanted to talk about in my open was uh, the goal song. And I am sad to report it's kind of grown on me. Um, oh, same. Like, it's, it's like fine. It's fun. It's, I think like the crowd needs to do a little more. Like the crowd needs to kind of chant along with it. But I don't know. Well, so here's the thing. They it's score, not a chant along type of song. If they wanted a, the crowd to chant along, they should have picked a different song. It's a like clap. none of the three that were their finalists. Yeah, I you mean, can clap people, along. people chant along with like songs that don't have an actual chant in it. Like it happens. I know, but this is like a, it's like horns. Like you can't yeah. really chant along with it. Yeah. And like, it's not a song that people know. I mean, it's everybody knows song. it. It, it was in commercials. It's yeah. like it's a everybody's song heard this song a million know. times. Now I have no like idea what it is. The story entirely. I have not. Well, you're... I've heard it like ten times. You Steph, don't watch TV. You don't watch TV unless it's streaming or it's a Flyers game. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody it's else true. who doesn't live in a bubble like Steph has heard this song a million times. I do times. not have cable. A lot of people don't it's have true. cable. Yes, but all those people cable. do have, like, cable alternatives. Yeah. I have cable alternatives. It's called Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and uh, the other one. Anybody yeah. who Peacock. watches live one. sports has a cable alternative. Hulu has live sports. ESPN Plus. Yeah, finding illegal streams online. Yeah. What? I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, Kelly would never do that. Never do such a thing. That just sounds like too much of a hassle. I'd rather pay. Like, they're always slow and shitty. Hello? Is this Bill Matz? Oh, I will always. I would rather pay? When did, <laughs> when, who are you? I will always pay. This is in, hold, no, stop the show. This is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck replaced Bill Matz? I would rather pay. I... Bill Matz, for the entire decade that I've known him, has gone out of his way every single time to avoid paying for fucking anything. I will pay for convenience. Will I pay for a haircut? No. But I will pay for convenience at all costs. Oh, jeez. No, you won't. <laughs> Not all costs, but, you know. No. Uh, uh, yeah, so... I'm very concerned anyway, about you. The, the goal, goal song, song the yeah. goal song has kind of grown on me. We heard it Hearing like, it six times was, yeah. kind of did it. So my thing with the goal song is that I think it's better than Feel the Shake. It is. But that was a very low bar. The lowest bar. And I wish they would have cleared it a bit more than this one. Yes. I don't love it, but... In the arena, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. That's, like, listening to it on YouTube and listening to it 
live when they score with the crowd mm-hmm. is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't say. Yeah. I, and, and I liked Feel the Shake. I mean, it's fine. You liked Feel the Shake? I think I still like it more than this. Mm. Of course you like Feel the Shake because Bill likes bad things. I, I guess. Woo. I guess. <laughs> I like um, terrible music, and that's not even a good terrible music song. Subscribe to theathletic.com. It's my favorite hockey. It's God damn you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. Dunked on him. <laughs> so uh, the Flyers have played 125 minutes plus a skills competition of, uh, of actual hockey. So let's, let's overreact to it. What are your biggest takeaways from oh, the first yeah. two games? Uh, they're fun. They're going to win the cup, obviously. I mean, Clearly. is that really a takeaway or just Kelly's default? Oh, well, <laughs> I will say the biggest thing that I've taken, I'm trying not to feel too negative about the bad things or too positive about the good things because it's two games. And one of the games was against a Dave Hextall coached team. So, Oh, man, they're bad. Um, I will say that the way that Carter Hart got his shit together after letting in a couple of stinkers was like the one thing in these two games that actually gave me concrete good feelings because last year Carter Hart just fell apart completely and never got it back together but he got it back together and that's good mm-hmm. yeah um the point that I made in my column um yeah, I, I, I hinted at it in my column after game one, and I really leaned in, into it in my column in game two. Because I think, to me, that's the story of these first two games, is that game one, and game one certainly had some fun parts. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. the, the comeback in the third period, that was fun. Um, Hart made some big saves in overtime. The place was very, very loud after Drew scored mm-hmm. the, the game-tying goal, which was really, really cool to hear, just because, obviously, last year, you know, not only were fans just not happy with the team, understandably so, there just weren't that many fans in the building because of, of rules, and this was a full, pretty much a full house. I mean, it wasn't completely full, but it was full enough to be very loud. Um, the point that, uh, that I made is that Game 1, to me, very much felt like a game from last year on yeah. so many levels. Like it would, that was a last year game, and and even like yeah, the comeback was fun, but like they did that last year. They would fall behind four to one and then storm back, and it's like, well, yeah, it's cool they came back, but like why the hell were you down three goals in the first place, kind of thing. And there were just mm-hmm. so many things in game one that were like, this just feels like a continuation of last year. You have Carter Hart giving up some weak goals. You have bad bounces. You know, you have like they dominate parts of the game, but then they they disappear for stretches. You know, they, they seem demoralized and things don't go their way. And then out of nowhere, they explode for two goals, but then lose anyway. It was, just, it was a very last-year game. This game, game two, this is, I think, what the Flyers want this year to be. I mean, okay. obviously, like, 6-1 to one is what you want. But, like, every single thing about game one that reminded me of last season, it got flipped. Hart was really good. You know, they got the bounces. They had the balance scoring. They drove play. They were sticking up for teammates. Like, it was just everything about last year that was bad was good in game two. So you come out of these games and you're like, okay, well, what's the real Flyers? It's almost like, you know, I thought about putting this in my column. I couldn't figure out a way to make it, like, work. But it's like it's almost like there's two forces battling for the soul of the 21-22 Philadelphia Flyers. It's like you got the bad Flyers and the good Flyers, and it's like this big tug of war, and it's like who's gonna win? Are they Inside gonna get the pull- Flyers? There are two wolves. 
exactly. Like they're getting they're, they're getting pulled in both directions. Like, are we going to be good or are we going to be really annoying and bad again? And so far, you've got fifty percent of like the different new flyers, and then fifty percent reminded me very much of last year's flyers. I had so much fun watching game two. Ooh. Game one was stressful. Just it was a stressful game, um, but it was still fun. But game two was just like, there's no question mark there. That was a super fun game. Nate Thompson is finally doing what we've, oh, the only thing we've asked of him, which is stay out of the way and hit people. Cool. He's getting that done. Um, Nick Sealer, I'm still not quite convinced he's not a computer simulation, <laughs> but if this is how the computer simulation's going to go, I'm cool with it. He ate punches like cool a robot. He sure did. He had no problem. He sure he did. He had no problem. From Penny's brother. And those Alexiac fucking... <laughs> oh, my God. That was a beating. But good for him. He knew what he had to do. He he knew he had to take that beating, and, and he, he did. did it. Yeah. Oh, and then he was pumping up the crowd afterwards. Yeah. He's, you know, screaming into the crowd. You know, it was very... It, it didn't have the, the shush, but it was kind of Max Talbot-ish. It was very... I, I compared it to that in my post-game. I compared it to the Talbot, like... It wasn't about the fight. It was about getting in the fight. And he yeah, knew that. Yeah. He knew what it was. Uh, my biggest takeaway so far, man, 10 goals through two games. Um, I'm shocked by that. I did not expect to see a whole bunch of goals, especially early on. Now, we know a lot of times early in hockey seasons, there's a ton of scoring uh, throughout the league, not just the team. but And then... You know, it starts to tighten up a little bit, but I was I was concerned that this team wasn't going to be able to generate enough offense, and um, they're averaging five goals a game. So I suppose my concerns were unfounded. Like, is this well, shocking to anybody else? No, I, I think it's no I think it's surprising. In the preseason, so, I was legitimately like, okay, who's going to score the goals? So my biggest takeaway from game one is that I'm absolutely obsessed with Cam Atkinson. Like if you need a guy that shoots the puck and that's all you need, like we've got that. And we also have JVR who's, you know, bigger, but plays like he's Cam Atkinson size. And he also shoots the puck. I have not found one single flyer that I'm angry at yet this season. And that through two games is the biggest shock to me. Yeah. That's a, that, I wouldn't have bet money on that. Like, um, I, I've got no one to be mad at right now. Sanheim redeemed some, himself. Yeah. Some people are mad at Sanheim. Some people are mad Sanheim. at Sanheim. I'm not He's mad, mad at a good Sanheim. Game game two. No, he, yeah, he played legitimately well in game two. So like, I'm trying to think like, who were my disappointments? Like through two periods, I was like, where's TK? And then he comes up with the, uh, what was it to make it to put it within well, one the third goal yeah, yeah the third goal in game one so and then he scores in game two so yeah i don't think i'm angry at anybody uh isn't that weird yeah we'll get we'll get there don't worry it's yeah, early it's, um no the, i i was for us too during the during the first game uh when things were getting rocky in that second period i found myself really missing some of the players that they got rid of like <laughs> Brian Elliott, Carter Hart could have been pulled if that was the appropriate situation, if there was a backup goaltender that you thought 
was reliable, which Martin Jones is not. I and I think I, that we're going to get into that a little bit. I don't think they, they should have or would have pulled him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with No, Carly. and that's, that's a really good point. But just like the whole situation is, well... That sucks because the backup is not reliable. Yeah, but like, yeah, but he's I probably not gonna bail out Carter Hart. But I don't think they. I mean, that's how that's how the fans certainly view Martin Jones. I don't think that's how the Flyers currently view Martin Jones. They they think right. much well, higher. Of one Martin of us Jones. is right, and one of us Fair. is wrong. I'm just saying. I think the Flyers look at Martin Jones right now, and you know, we'll see if he goes out there. He's starting Wednesday. If he goes out there his first five games and is awful, then maybe their their perception of him changes. But right now, they view him as a good, solid backup, and I think that they... We'll get into Carter Hart a little bit later. Um, I think if they thought that Carter Hart needed to be pulled, they wouldn't have hesitated to do it because they trust Martin Jones. I think that they wanted Carter Hart to to see this through. Um, and again, we'll, we'll get into Carter in a few minutes. Um, to me, the biggest... Because, Bill, you you talked about the, the offense, You know, the fact they've scored 10 goals. Obviously, you score six goals in a game. That's going to inflate it a little bit. But they scored four in the first two. So it's not like the offense you know, was all in one game. The big concern I had coming into the season, and we've talked about it on multiple shows, was, you know, was this going to be a one-line team? Um, you know, without mm-hmm. Kevin Hayes, and you're looking at down the middle and everything. And, um, and you mentioned Cam Atkinson. I mean, I don't think... You know, anybody who knows Cam Atkinson as a player and has paid attention to his career, like, he's a good player. He's going to get his goals. He's going to make his plays. Joel Farabee, we all believe in Joel Farabee. We believe he's a good player, could potentially be a great player if he takes another step forward. So the big question for me was Derek Broussard, who was going to play second-line center when a year ago— there was a question whether he even was still an NHL center. And you're starting him <laughs> on the second line, and it's like, okay, if he flops, they're in trouble. And I think he's been pretty good. Like, he got some crap on social media in game one. And I was like, I'm at this game, and I don't think he looks bad. Like, I just think people came in with the expectation that, like, they yeah. were going to hate on Derek Broussard because they were already negatively predisposed to Derek Broussard, in part because they wanted Morgan Frost on the team, I think. Um Broussard, I thought, was fine in Game 1, and I thought he was legitimately good in Game 2. Like, this was this was actually a funny, um, not to, well, you know what, I'm not even going to apologize. I am going to bring it back to this. Um, the funny uh, <laughs> the funny comment I got from on my article today was, new number 19 now has a third of the points that old number 19 did all of last season, and in only two games. <laughs> Broussard has three points. Burn. In two games, Nolan Patrick had nine points in 52 games. That line is legitimately fun. They're it's fun. Like, they have good chemistry, particularly Broussard like, and, uh, and Atkinson, I think. Yeah. They're a great combination of, like, skill and working hard out there. Like, they're not just perimeter guys. They're not the biggest guys. But, man, they are fun to watch. Like, I'll absolutely give that to them. Uh, we brought up Carter Hart a ton, so let's get into it here. Um Kelly, you put in the outline earlier, like, Martin Jones is coming. And I said, when? And at some point today, uh, it was announced he'll be starting Wednesday's game against Boston. Fucking why? Why not? <laughs> I Everyone seems worked up about this. Like, honestly, Because why I not? want the good player to play. Okay, but he's going to have to play eventually, so we got to see. Is Rip he? off the Band-Aid and let me see what what, what do we got he here. What if he doesn't? What if he plays against a, another bad team though? Like we have why is it got to why is it, it got to be Boston on a national TV game at home? Why can't it be on the road when no one gives a shit when they're out in Western Canada? 
Well, because the problem with that, and I think this is there's two reasons for this. Number one, and this is you know something I hinted at a few minutes ago, the Flyers do not view Martin Jones as negatively as the entire fan base seems to right now. And, I mean, I'm willing to see what he can do in regular season games because, as I've said on multiple occasions, the preseason, kind of bullshit, particularly for veterans. Look at Travis Konechny. Um, that's, so that's number one. So they're not looking at Martin Jones as this crap goalie that we need to hide. They look at him as a solid backup until he proves otherwise. Number two, you know, there were some people talking like, well, why don't you just wait until Western Canada? Well, then you're putting yourself in the position where, like, he will have not played in two weeks, and then he's probably destined to play bad. And then that just that just feeds the narrative of he sucks. Like, bad player is it, destined to play bad, though, regardless of when you play him. I mean, maybe, but if you have a guy cold for two weeks and then he comes in just because, oh, we'll throw him in this game because it's the first game, it's mildly acceptable for me to put someone not named Carter Hart in, in net, and then he sucks. And then you lose that game because he sucks that maybe you wouldn't have lost had you gave him one of the four games on the homestand rather than waiting until the 28th of, uh, of October to give him his first game. Like, you got to sprinkle in these guys in games. You can't just – like, the days of goalies – playing 70 games 65 games Not they're done happening. it's over it doesn't happen anymore even the Andre Vasilevskis don't do that anymore so you know just because people are excited that Carter Hart had a big game last night and it's like well ride them like they don't really do that anymore it's not a thing it's not the way that the game is played now this has nothing to do with what Carter Hart did in the first two games it has something to do with 2018-19, Martin Jones, 896 save percentage, negative 22.9 goals save above average. 2019-20, 896 save percentage, negative 15 goals saved above average. 2020-21, 896 save percentage, negative 11.7 goals save above average. He's bad. Getting better. Wh- I mean, I, I or mean, he's playing fewer year. games. Bill, I could rattle off. Even worse sounding numbers for Rasmus Ristolainen, but everybody seems excited to get him in the lineup. Rasmus Ristolainen is a 10 year veteran. <laughs> yeah, and he's been Hold bad on, last eight year, year veteran. <laughs> Who? Who is excited to get him I in the lineup? I think a lot of people want to see Rasmus Ristolainen. And, 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 and in fairness, I, I do I too. See him. Like, yeah. I want to see him. I want to see what he can do in a new environment. But I'm just saying that if we're going to play the look at how bad Martin Jones has been for years card, you can very much play that same card for Razorus Lion and say, That's why fine. bring him in? Keep Nick Sealer in. Which Nick they're not going to do. Because probably bad too. Like, Martin Jones has been consistently bad for three years now. I don't see I... why you would subject him to the home fans. So here's the thing. You're not wrong. But the fact of the matter is, he's the backup goaltender. You got to move on from it. He's going to play a lot of hockey games. We might as well just see what he's got against a good team. He's going to have to play good teams. Is he? It's going to happen. There's a a decent number of bad teams. Like, he should probably just play (laughs) against them. But again, don't they don't think he's bad, or at least they think they're they don't fucking think wrong. Bad. They don't think he's We're as bad as you. That's do. all I said. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find no, we've right. already found out. The data is in. We know that he's bad. Like all this talent, talent evaluation they're doing. Like I don't trust it at all. You know why? Because they haven't been good in a fucking decade. If they think <laughs> Martin Jones, if they think Martin Jones is good, that's proof to me he's not. I cannot wait oh, until Martin boy. Jones finishes November with like a 925 save percentage. <laughs> Great, yeah. And then he'll have retire that off into the sunset. That is incredibly optimistic. Retire hey, off into you know the what? sunset. So my thing is that goalies are voodoo, so who the hell knows how they're going to do. 
Yeah, I know, because he gives up a lot of go- goals all the time. Why would he stop doing that? I don't know. I mean, bad goalies have been good for—, for bad, goal- bad goalies have good years all the time. It happens regularly. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Or did people just prematurely say that this was a bad goalie? Didn't Mike Smith at like age 37 have like a 918 yes. save percentage last year? And he's not good anymore. But Mike Smith no, has had bad. like, Mike Smith goes back and forth all the time between good and bad. This yeah, is just and Martin been... Jones was good at one time. Five years ago, yes. Yeah, four. <laughs> <laughs> Counting this year, five. Okay, okay. So, oh my god, Hart's. Uh, Hart's Can we talk first... about Carter Hart now? No, that's what I want to get into. I want to get back to Carter Hart. So Martin Jones is starting Wednesday because I guess they don't care about winning that game against the Boston Bruins. Why would they? Uh, it's on national TV. Um, so Vigneault's approach here, he's calling Hart's game in Game One that second period some unfortunate bounces and. Well, yes, he had, like, a season's worth of fucked-up goals uh, go against him in, like, 20 minutes. They seemed preventable. Like, for the technician, the tactician goalie, the guy who's in the right place at the right time, if he was those things, they would not have gone in. There was a combination, I think, of flukiness and also he probably Certainly, certainly. I think the most important thing is in the third period in overtime, he bounced. He was like great. It, was, it yeah. wasn't just game two. It wasn't like, okay, we'll see in game two. Like I think it was very important. We talked so much last year about how Hart and the whole team, every little thing turned into five bad things. Like Everything snowballed. And as bad as the second period was, it wasn't fucking 10-1. It was, it was bad, but it wasn't so bad that they couldn't come back, and they did, and they salvaged the point. So I guess is that our main takeaway from Hart? Uh, is even that the mental toughness might be back? The I don't want to say toughness, but like his ability to rebound, his maturity level, like those things that we were looking forward to that we were surprised weren't there last year. Looks like at least in the early going, he's got that going for him. He's definitely got that, but also he looks better than he did last year. Like the, the puck tracking is back. He seems to be in position. He's not doing that weird thing where he makes himself small in the net. Like he was doing last year. Like he, he let in some fluky goals in game one, but he also looks better actually better and i think the the players recognize that like that was mm-hmm. something that travis connect said after game two um you know basically that like somebody asked him was did it surprise you uh when he made that big save on jordan eberle uh, on monday night and connecting basically said, like yeah i mean we were impressed but we see him make these crazy saves every day at practice so it's not shocking to us you know it's, this is just carter and i think that played into at least from the player's standpoint why you know hart got so much support after game one um, you know, from his from his teammates, that they were like, you know, look, it was just bad bounces. They they've been watching him up close in practices. They've been watching him in preseason, and I think, I mean, look, these guys aren't stupid. These guys know hockey. This is their living. They know that last year Carter Hart played bad. You know, and not that they played well, but they know Carter Hart played bad, and they know what Carter Hart looks like when he's playing bad. 
And they have looked at him in preseason, in camp, and even in game one. And it, I get the sense, like, it, it didn't feel the same to them. That didn't no. feel like Carter Hart from last year. Like, I agree yeah, with that. He was giving up weak goals. There were a couple he probably should have stopped or should have been better technique-wise. But, like, the players didn't get the vibe of this is last season Carter Hart again. Mm-hmm. They still think he's turned the corner and he's a good goalie again. And that's important. To me, the really interesting part about game one, and this was what I kind of centered my column around after game one, wasn't even necessarily Hart's play. Though obviously that's the most important thing. You know, Is he going to be able to play well? Is he going to be able to bounce back? That's the most important thing for the Flyers season. I thought Vigneault's comments after the game were fascinating because Vigneault last season was not charitable at all to Carter Hart in the media after these games. Like when Carter Hart would have a bad game, when he would give up a couple bad goals— Vino would make it abundantly clear after the game that he was dissatisfied with Carter Hart's play. He would make it clear, you know, maybe not say straight up, but you got the meaning of like, essentially like we lost this game because Carter didn't play well. And then what would happen too would be when Carter would have a good game, when he would play decently, I mean, not like amazing, but he played decently well. Vigneault would kind of downplay it, and he'd be like, yeah, you know, the defense, you know, really really strong defensive game, good team game. And then Brian Elliott would go out there and have, like, an identical game to Carter Hart's good games, and Vigneault would go out there and be like, man, Brian Elliott, you know, player of the game. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, if you were paying attention, it was obvious that Vigneault had had this idea in his head that, like, Hart needed tough love. You know, he needed to be pushed. You know, he needed to be challenged. And I don't get the sense from the people I've talked to, you know, around the game, I don't get the sense that was received particularly well from Carter Hart, and I don't get the sense it was received particularly well from Carter Hart's teammates either. And it was fascinating to me that Vino, given the opportunity after the game, because look, I'm not saying Carter Hart was awful, but you're absolutely right. There were a few of those goals that if you were cleaner technically, he probably would have stopped them. Vino very easily could have went out there and thrown hard under the bus. Last year's Elaine Vigneault probably would have done that. This year's Elaine Vigneault comes out and wasn't even asked about Hart and immediately says, you know, he had some unfortunate bounces. I didn't think he played poorly. And then I followed up, and I was like, so what actually did you think about Hart's game? And he's like, you know, I think aside from those unfortunate bounces, I think he was pretty good, and he was great in overtime. And that's true. But it was the fact that that was the tactic he took in response to that game, because that tells me that the Flyers are taking a different approach with Hart this year, that they're, you know, at least coaching-wise, I'm not going to say they're coddling him, because that has, you know, a different connotation than I think the Flyers wanted to have. It's just, this isn't a Ben Simmons type of situation. But they're not going to ride him, I get the sense, in the media as much as they did last season, and I think that's the right move. And it just mm-hmm. it struck me as interesting because it was such a change of tone from what we got all of last year from Vigneault with regards to Hart. They're treating him the way you treat the franchise goalie. Yes. The franchise yes. quarterback. The fran like those guys in those positions, those top end like that's is it fair to everybody? No, but like goalies don't get treated fairly. Like it's it that's just the way things are. The guys in those spots, those most important positions in sports, they get treated differently. You can't just go out and blame them. That's our job. Um but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I was happy with what I saw out of Hart. Game 2, while Hart made some big stops, I mean the one on Eberly was huge. And while they basically dominated most of the game, first like five minutes, it seemed like they were having trouble dealing with Seattle's forecheck, but then from then on out, they kind of just beat the shit out of them. It was never a contest. 
How much of that game from Hart's perspective and really just the team as a whole are you chalking up to like, damn, Flyers were good or like, you know, Seattle is terrible? Because <laughs> I got to tell you, Seattle has uh, exactly zero dangerous players on their roster. I like to pretend that it was because um, the Flyers really, really hated Dave Haxtell. Yes. That so was... they just they just played extra good. That's how I feel. That's my favorite narrative, and I'm sticking to it. I choose to believe it's absolutely real. So here's my thing with Seattle. My thing with Seattle is that I 100% agree with you, Bill, that they have no super dangerous offensive players. We we talk about how the Flyers don't have a star, you know, a true star, a guy who defends out the game plan for. Seattle really doesn't have a star. I mean, their best player, skater, is probably Mark Giordano. And, like, I've always been a big Mark Giordano fan, but he's a defenseman. And he's he's like like 40? He's not a Kale McCarr type defenseman. No. Like he's not a he's not a guy who scares you. He's just a good, solid first pair defenseman. Um, the uh, God, where was I going with this? Um, shoot. Um, oh yeah, Seattle. They are set up to be good defensively. They are. Yeah. They are set up to have good goaltending, and their whole team is set up to be sound defensively. That's basically what they did. They took all players who were good defensively. And the Flyers torch their their defense, torch their goaltending. Yeah. To me, that's the positive takeaway. Like, I'm not going to look at this and be like, man, the Flyers really shut down Seattle's vaunted offense because they don't have a vaunted offense. Mm-hmm. But I was impressed at how they were able to take apart Seattle's defense, which I actually do think could be pretty good. Uh, something They said, fuck you, Dave, <laughs> and don't come back to Philadelphia. Uh, that's what the Flyers did and said last night. Something I absolutely Meant loved it. with, like, uh, I think there were, like, seven, eight minutes left. Uh, Flyers have their big lead. Puck goes in deep behind Seattle's net. Flyers have a two-man forecheck. There's two guys below the goal line. I was like, fuck yes. Yes, pile it on. And, like, yes. continue to play this way. Because for the past five years, we've learned you're no good defensively. You're going to need to, like, just play offense. So do that. And Do Florida I, Panthers. Yeah, I was, I was pretty happy with what I saw there. Uh, while Who opened up the scoring in game two? Was it G? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 G he, said G looked Haxtell right in the face and said, fuck you guys. That's because he skated by the bench, and that's when all that shit happened. And I really wonder if it was directed at Hack. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, guy. <laughs> I don't think Drew hated Hack. Yeah. I don't, I don't no, I don't think so either. Sense. It's just funny to think about. I don't no, think no. it's just I mean, funny. It's, funny, to it's funny for the fans. Yes, I feel like this was more me. a gift to the fans than anything else. Hello. We are a podcast that fans yeah. listen to. We're the so, most important yes. people. I'm just I, saying, like, I don't think this is a case of, like, the whole team despised Dave Haxel. I never no, heard that sense. No, they definitely did, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you might have been missing out on the cues, but clearly. The cues of fans yelling at Dave Haxel at that. Yeah. No, exactly. me interpreting things like goal scoring. Ah, gotcha. Well, did you guys, uh, <laughs> was it apparent on the broadcast, the Haxel chant? Yes. Could, were yes. they audible? Yes. Well, at first... Great. At first, it sounded a little like an asshole chant, and then I was able to make out it was actually a Hackstall chant. I mean, synonyms, but... um, Well, <laughs> well first it was Hackstall, and I understand 
Because I, I sit next to Maddie in the press box. I understand why that could be mistaken for asshole. So anyway, <laughs> so they do that. And then, like, you know, I say they're doing a Hacksaw chant. And Maddie's like, I can't really tell for sure if it's a Hacksaw chant. And then the next, the next one, like, six minutes later was, fuck you, Hacksaw. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't deny that one. That's <laughs> well, not fuck you, asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, South Philly, though. You know. Uh, all right. Is that yeah? Let's take a break and then we'll get into some uh, some individual guys. First couple of games here of this new season. All right, everybody, we are back and uh, Flyers have played two games, so let's talk about some of the standouts so far. I want to lead it off with Joel Farabee, and I want to do that not just because he's been awesome, but also because you know they play Boston tomorrow, so it's a good time to bring up my favorite comparison from last season, Farabee. And David Pasternak. Uh, Mm. Farabee now has played 109 games in his NHL career. He has 30 goals and 33 assists. Pasta's first 109 games, 34 goals, 32 assists. So he's fallen off a little in the goal category. This is about the time where Pasta really started putting the puck in the net. So he's going to have to keep it up to keep pace. But hell of a start to his career and hell of a start to the season for Joel Farabee. I... Love Joel Farabee. I just, I I remain surprised every time that he does something just stunning on the ice. And I shouldn't be anymore because he is a very good hockey player. And he's ours, which feels weird. We hit on a first round pick. Yeah, and it was in a pretty That's weak cool. first round too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when... um when Corey Promen did his like redraft of the uh, of that round, it was, it was 2019, I believe, was the Joel Farabee. Was it 2019 or 2018? Yeah. One of the two. Can't it was 2018 because it was stroke draft. Okay, so yeah, 2018. That was the one in Dallas. Um, I think he had Farabee like fifth or sixth, and mm-hmm. it wasn't because like he used Joel Farabee as a superstar. It was because there just weren't a lot of guys who had panned out really quick in that draft. And Joel Farabee is already a pretty darn good top six winger, and. You know, the hope is, from the Flyers' perspective, is that he can slowly turn himself into a pretty darn good first-line winger, which is why they gave him the the Andrew McDonald contract. Oh, that's never not going to be funny, the Andrew McDonald contract. (laughs) That's forever what it's going to be called, too. Do we, uh, we talked about how we're liking what his line has been up to. Is it him? Like... Do we think he's an anchor-type player already? Is he, like, a guy who's a driving force I think it's him and Atkinson, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been impressed with Broussard, but I don't think Broussard is driving that line. I think Mm -hmm. those guys are really good, and Broussard's holding his own, which is what you're hoping for Broussard to do. Like, no one's expecting Derek Broussard to be a star, to be a really good second-line center, but I think the hope is you give him two really good wingers, and he'll be able to, you know, keep his head above water, and so far he has. That's a really interesting question, is Joel Farabee, driving his line and I haven't thought about it which would seem to imply that the answer is no but I I love what the both of Kelly and Charlie were saying that it's both Cam and the bees and that makes me happy yeah I just like not even the fact that he is or isn't but I think what we just touched on right when I brought him up like We've waited for so many guys and been a little disappointed in so many guys, even if maybe it's unfair or it's recency bias, etc. But, uh, man, Farabee has just done nothing but impress 
basically mm-hmm. since they called him up, you know? Like, maybe didn't put the puck in the net right away, but did enough. And now, like, two goals in the first game, 20 goals last year, gets the Andrew McDonald contract. Man, he's, like, going to be one of the better players on this team for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Like the That's next, the hope. That's the hope, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the hope. Unless um, they go out and get a bunch of even awesomer players. That could be cool. Yeah. That, that would be, be good, neat. too. Never that would also be cool. Yeah, and he's Let's win a cup a, first. Yeah, yeah, he signed to a reasonable contract for what he's going to provide. I mean, there's upside there if he takes another step. But I've always thought that Joel Farabee at some point is going to turn into a, a play driver, you know, a guy who you stick on, on a line and the team, you know, carries play because he's on that line. I've always seen that as his upside as a winger. Um, whether it's happening this year or not, I don't know. I mean, he clearly can score already. Uh, but I do think that his, you know, his two-way acumen is going to show in the numbers. You know, at some point, he's still pretty darn young. Um, yeah. The his line, you know, the Broussard line isn't driving play yet, but it's obviously scoring. And again, like you know, they only have to hang in there for ten or so games until Hayes comes back, and then you get that boost. So hey, if if they if they take advantage of some uh, some PDO spikes in the early going, that's perfectly fine by the Flyers because it doesn't have to carry for 82 games. It just has to carry for a month. So uh, speaking of a guy maybe where, I don't know, maybe at least me, I've been a little unfairly disappointed in uh, in last season and even to start game one was Travis Konechny. But now he's got a couple of goals. Uh, they were, you know, first one, pretty big goal. He looks good. He's back on that line with Couturier and Giroux, and they kind of look like their old selves. Like, hard to say they've really missed a step. Watching TK for these first two games, has your reaction been like, yup, TK's back? Or is it just kind of like, hey, nice start. Let's see him keep it going. I got a bit frustrated watching him in the first game. Um, I thought he kind of low-key was not having a great game at least I was in the building so like maybe it was more like behind the play stuff I was watching but the second game he looked great um I don't know if I'm ready to declare him like back to leading scorer on the team level Travis Konechny but you know trending in the right direction I love the goal he scored in in Monday's game because if that was that was 2019-2020 version of Travis Konechny. You know, mm-hmm. he takes the pass through the neutral zone from Keith Yandel, which is a really good pass. Really yes. good pass. And, um, and he attacks the slot, lets a shot rip, which, number one, I mean, he wasn't shooting enough last year. When he was shooting, he was missing the net. But he lets a shot rip and then doesn't give up on the play, chases down his own rebound and buries it. I mean, that was assertive Travis Konechny. That was not like, I'm taking advantage of my line mates to do stuff. That was, I'm going to do it myself because I'm just that damn good. And that guy just wasn't there last year. And that's, like, it's not just that he's a good player. It's the effort stuff that people were really drawn to in the previous seasons that, like, you know, we can say whatever about last year, but they were counting on him, and it just never happened for him. Now, listen... The, the COVID stuff, all of that, probably weighs pretty heavily into it. But the fact that maybe we're getting that guy back, that guy who scored that goal, that, man, my my nervousness about where the goal's going to come from kind of dissipates. If it's like, no, TK, it's not just going to be a one-line team that TK puts some rebounds home on. Like, 
that one line, if they're awesome like they were two years ago, that takes care of a lot of those concerns. I predict that Travis Connecting to lead this team in goals this year. So I am I am on board with the Travis Connecting rebound season. Um, I just think that – I think a lot of people – I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Maybe Konechny, you know, this is just a flash in the pan. He got off to a good start goal-wise last year, too, and it didn't work out. But my point with Travis Konechny is that I think far too many people look at Konechny and they're like, well, he only had the one good year. You know, he had the, yeah, that that, that year was great, but that was all he's got. The, the, The truth of the matter, if you really look at the numbers, is that the two years prior to 2019, 2020, in terms of his goal scoring efficiency, he was one of the better five on five goal scorers in hockey. One of the better ones. He was a clear first line goal scorer. He was a first line caliber goal scorer at five on five for three consecutive seasons. Yeah. The only reason why his point totals went through the roof the third year was because his ice time went up and because he got power play time and got a bunch of assists on the power play because he was on the top unit with Claude Giroux and all the other good yeah. guys. How long? So. So, but but to me, like to me, it wasn't that 2019-2020 was the one really good Travis Connecting year. It was that the other two years were pretty darn good too. It was just he wasn't being used high enough in the lineup that the counting stats looked great. Then last year was objectively bad. Like that year was objectively a down year. But I think a lot of people looked at it as well. The really good year was the fluke. And now Konechny's back to what he was before, just a decent player. Whereas my way of looking at it is that he was pretty darn good for three consecutive years, finally got the ice time, his play probably warranted in year three, and then had a down year last year. So last year is more of the outlier year than the good year. So that's why I'm expecting him to bounce back in a big way this year, because I see last year as more of an outlier year than a regression to his true talent level, which is what I think a lot of people, a lot of his attractors viewed it as. Yeah, I mean, we... I feel like I'm one of the only people that's not down on Travis Konechny. Like, that's... Last season was a bad season for everyone, and he's an incredibly skilled player. I'm not worried about Travis Konechny at all. I'm not down on him. I wasn't, I didn't, I wanted to see him bounce back, but yes, last year was an incredibly bad year for everybody, and he's one of the guys they were counting on to make it not that, and since he, you know, he didn't do it, he didn't do his job, like, some guys did actually show up and not play, like, they're at the absolute worst versions of themselves, which TK did last year, um... I'm just looking forward to see him continuing this, like, to Charlie's point. Remember, like, two, three years ago, screaming, like, hey, they need a trigger man on the power play, and TK's not playing any fucking power play minutes. This doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, So, yeah, given the role, given the ice time, he should be back to that guy. And that just alleviates so many of the issues I had with what they were going to be scoring. And it allows, like, for the depth... Uh, like, okay, Joel Farabee, he's producing. Maybe he's a first-line winger. Well, we can play him on the second line because TK is doing what TK is supposed to do, and it just lets everything else fall into place behind him. Uh, We also mentioned Keith Yandel with that uh, assist on that TK goal. Man, is is Yandel so far the most pleasant surprise of the season? I'll say. Yes. I think... Um, I mean, I I always say Broussard, but I think you can make a case for Yandel. Yandel on the power play is just, I love it so much. 
And it's just such a, a fresh change from the Provorov power play. Mm, I just wish mm-hmm. they would do it all the time. But I have been – I mean, Keith Yandel's obviously not a, a perfect player, especially defensively. But sure. he's been he's been a lot of fun to watch so far. And he says thank you to the goaltender, so. Well, sure. I mean, he's just a pleasant man. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. No, he's been good. I mean, I wouldn't say he's been great. Like, you know, I thought he, um, and I pointed this out a couple times. I think I put it on Twitter. I definitely put it in my column. In game one, there was the, the goal that Putt Colson scored. Yandel kind of blew that one. You know, it was They the ran. Where... Should that have been interference? In theory, yes. They ran a fucking a, moving pick on that play. They did. They did run a pick, but the thing is, is that he put himself in position to have a pick run on him. All right. And in generally speaking, in hockey, they're going to let that go because they're going to be like, well, you know, Tyler Myers has just as much right to that spot as Keith Yandel, and Keith Yandel shouldn't have been that far over that he should have been blocked in by a guy driving the middle lane. All right. Fair enough. But just yeah, I mean, you could you could have called it. You I just called it interference. Sure. I, I thought it was like one of the more clear like. Islanders clearing fucking space plays and it wasn't even the Islanders but they still somehow got away with it like it just yeah. looked it looked more obvious like a uh, like an Eagles goal line play where it's like yeah you're allowed to bump the guy a little but when you just fucking drive him out of the way you're you're interfering like I, I just whatever it's done and over with now one point I'll make though with Yandel and this is a classic example like this is something that hockey fans I don't think hockey fans fully understand about themselves that this is and and a lot of this plays into kind of what my defense of last season for for Travis Sanheim was is that fans don't realize how quickly they forget about mistakes the defensemen make when those mistakes don't lead to goals oh yeah so so classic example being everybody in in the wake of that game last night talked about how those three big saves that Hart made in the beginning of the game were huge you know that that helped turn it because you know if Seattle jumps out to an early lead maybe that game the entire complexion of that game is different well the first save that he made was a save on a breakaway and the only reason why that breakaway happened is because Keith Yandel screwed up and everybody forgot about it because Carter Hart made the save if Carter Hart doesn't make that save the Flyers give up an early goal and then lose that game I bet the entire perception of Keith Yandel today is different and that had nothing to do with what Keith Yandel did that had everything to do with what Carter Hart did and Keith Yandel got bailed out and now we get to focus on the positives of Keith Yandel so like and this isn't me burying Keith Yandel. This is just me saying that Keith Yandel is, you know, an imperfect player, as Kelly said. And he's going to make plays. He's going to make mistakes. And if he's on your third pair, that's probably fine. But I don't want people to get to be too hyped up about Keith Yandel because at some point those mistakes are going to end up in the back of the net because he's, you know, not the most defensively sound player. And he never has been. And now he's not as fast as he was when he was in his prime. Yeah, and that's like... That's the point of putting him with the Justin Braun. It's why I was optimistic about the pair. Because you just have two guys who know their role, very distinct roles, and a disaster probably won't happen when they're out there. Like, that's the, yes, is he going to make mistakes? Obviously, because it's fucking hockey. They play it on ice with knives on their feet. But, like, that's, when he makes a mistake, Braun's there. 
Carter Hart's there. That's the whole point of having the whole goddamn team so that Yandel can do what he does. He's not going to be great defensively. You're not going, for the price tag, you're not going to get a guy who does what he does offensively who's also mistake-free on defense. Like, okay, if you want that, you better go spend $9 million. That's just not going to happen. You have Yandel for under a million because he's old and he doesn't play any defense. So, like, the trade-off here, I just like that we have a steady reliable pair I want them playing 16 minutes a game and to that point Provorov has played uh, the first game goes to OT so it's a little inflated but he's played 29-23 and 25-22 in the first two games I mean listen all of our all of our perceptions of what Provorov is and might be have I, I think come down a little bit lately but there is no question that the man is a fucking machine out there. He is a machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, and he's been good. I I, I mean, he's, I don't think he's been great on the power play, but I don't have any expectations of him Oh, on my the power God. Why are they point. doing this with two defensemen? Why are they doing they just, this? They, they love having Ivan Provorov on that power they play. Just they just love not that. scoring on the power play. <laughs> it's just um, something they're fucking into. So the one point I will make about Provorov as a lead into this um. Look, I've always been a Ryan Ellis fan. I've always liked his game. You know, obviously his advanced metrics have been good, but I always liked watching him play in Nashville. I didn't think I was going to enjoy watching him play as much as I have. Mm -hmm. And I already thought I was going to enjoy watching him play. But he makes so many plays. And this was this happened in the preseason, and this happened, you know, in these first two games. He makes so many plays out there that, like, you're watching from up top, and you're like, "Damn, that was a smart play." Because if you watch, if you watch enough hockey games, and I, like I'll pat myself on the back a little bit, but a lot of this is just the fact that like I watch a lot of hockey games. You know, you you can kind of. It's very easy from up top because the game moves very slow. Rasmus and actually pointed this out today when we talked to him that when he was watching the two games up top because he was injured, he's like, yeah, it's, the, the game moves very slow when you're watching. You can sort of see what a player should do before he does it, even though when you're on the ice, it's way faster. And that's 100% true. I'm sure that, you know, Watching from up top, I'll see a guy with a puck, and I'll know exactly what he should do. And then it looks it's infuriating when he doesn't do it because it's like, well, it was so obvious. But on the ice, it's probably moving yeah. three times as fast, and you know, it's a tough play. And that guy doesn't well, have a bird's eye view of the situation. Exactly, exactly. Like, but I mean, th- this was one of the reasons why yeah, I found it yeah, so infuriating yeah. to watch Andrew McDonald because there was no defenseman I have watched regularly. Like I've watched worse defensemen than Andrew McDonald, sure, but no defenseman that I had to watch as much as Andrew McDonald who. Like, the half second before he would make a play, I would see the play he should have made, and then he would invariably not make it, (laughs) and you're just like, Jesus Christ, man, like, come on. Well, Ryan Ellis doesn't just make the play that you think he should make. He makes another play that you didn't even think of that works even better. Like, he is a fun player to watch if you're an experienced hockey watcher, and like, I mean, I hate to throw this comparable out there, but the last guy I watched that that did that on a regular basis for me was Kimo Timonen. I was that was Kimo, and it's it's so funny because they get him, you know, from Nashville. He's here to steady this. Like, it, it's just a, it's a great comparison. I've thought the exact same thing. Like, just this the steadying nature, and uh, yeah, it, not just fun to watch, but. 
the fact that he sees it before you do. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. like, yeah. I, this could end up being a hell, like, if they're better than we think, it's going to be because Ryan Ellis is has that much of an impact. And shit, he's going to play 30 minutes a fucking game, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, he's I out there half probably... the game. They'll probably cut down the minutes once Risto comes back yeah. because they can cycle. I mean, he'll, his wrist line is going to get more minutes than Nick Sealer. So that'll allow them to pull back a little bit on the minutes <laughs> that they were giving to uh, to the first pair in these two games. But at the same time, I think Proveroff and Ellis are going to get a lot of minutes because I think they're going to ride that. Well, I mean, I like, still can't believe Chuck went and got us Ryan Ellis. I, it's the best I thing that's happened in the last decade. It really, Hopefully like, he stays healthy. It's one of those things. Damn it, Charlie, why would you God, say that? God damn it, Charlie. No, it is one of those things, like, so much happened in the offseason and so much happened since then. And, like, it's not a 50-goal score, so you can, like, lose it a little, like, the importance of that guy. But, shit, like, think about how important Matt fucking Niskanen was. And, you know, Ryan Ellis is considerably better than Matt Niskanen. I, 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 I appreciated what Niskanen brought this team, but come on. You know, this this could be something here. Is there uh... And Ivan Provorov is going to benefit dramatically. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. why I use that as the lead-in because, like, I think Provorov's been been good, good to very good in these two games. I thought he was really good, uh, with the exception of that bad delay game penalty in game one, especially. But I think he's benefiting dramatically from playing playing alongside Ryan Ellis. I was uh, in the first game, and it was like one of Ellis's first shifts. Uh, Vancouver runs a play where they bang one in off the end boards, and JT Miller just gets around Ellis uh, to the outside and gets to the puck and gets a shot. And I was like, oh, fucking course, we got Ryan Ellis, and he's cooked. It's already already obvious two shifts into the game. Uh, But then, obviously, he rebounded. All right, um, is there anyone else who you think deserves recognition here before we we wrap it up? Guys who've impressed you, guys who have underwhelmed you in the first two games, anyone you want to bring up? Nate Thompson. I just want to repeat Claude Giroux. Goal yeah, scorer. Oh, captain, yeah. my captain. He's been good. Eight I think Couturier hasn't. Couturier has been fine, but I think he has another gear, and I think he knows that. I don't think yep. he's been bad, but I think he has another gear that he can get to. Drew already looks Agreed. like a 100-point season, Drew, and we're two games in. He does. I'm, I've am i been really impressed with what I've seen out of Drew. Mm-hmm. I, like, it's almost like it's a contract year for G. And I just expected him to be to have fallen off so much more by now. Like they he are won't going. Do it, Bill. I know you did. They're going to have to. They are going to have to like ante up to pay Claude Giroux. They're going to have to figure a, that out. There was a sequence. This is changing the subject. We're changing it to a different player. There was a sequence in the first period. I think it was like maybe it was six six minutes left in the first period where the puck was along the boards. And Oscar Limblom like basically just like fought off two guys and 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 won the puck back and got it back to the point. And it was very much like a yeah, this is this this is pre pre cancer diagnosis, Oscar. Like That's... you can, I don't know if he's all the way there yet, but like he's way closer than he was last year. Oh, he hasn't. Um, it hasn't been like the stuff in and around the net, but the little board battles and things where he was so good, like his first. The beginning of his time in the league, and you're like, he's gonna be something. That stuff's starting to show itself again, and that's just so fucking good to see. 
I'm going to kill my puppy if we don't stop right. recording soon. All right. So, <laughs> like, that, I love you guys, but I'm going to disconnect his head from his body well, pretty soon. I really hope you don't do that because yeah, it's do a that. good dog. Well, and I don't cute. want you to. He is a good dog, but he is finding. I have now three yogurt boxes on my desk that he has just found maybe he that thinks, he's bringing maybe to me. Maybe he thinks you want on. yogurt. He might. All right. Uh, that's it. That's all the time we have for you on Broadcast. I'm sorry, guys. I knew that we were at the end yeah. anyway, but... I had nothing else. I was just asking questions to yeah. see if anyone would just be The like, faces that I was yeah. making. Not about you guys. It was about the puppy. All right. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you gotta hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. And bang! Content. Daily content. Checking out the competition with Hinks, my post games, Fly Perbole, this show, the flagship, Broad Street Hockey, so much shit, I don't even know all of it. Uh, hit subscribe and you won't be disappointed. It's the only Flyers podcast you will need to subscribe to, so do that. Maybe leave us a five-star review, too. All right, that's it. My name is Bill Matz. For Steph, for Kelly, for Charlie, have a great week, everybody. <laughs>